Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. We're back in our lovely homes, back on Zoom. Still uh, just thinking about last week's draft events, seeing you, kicking it with everybody at the SDPN fan event. It was a great time, man. I'm, I'm only now coming down from the high of it, man. It was, it was so cool. Are you having like the, the feeling you have after summer camp and you're kind of depressed and, and sad for all the friends that like blew through town and they're all gone? I don't know if that's how I would describe it. I kind of look at it as I'm happy and grateful that I got to experience it. I'm happy that I got to see everyone and hug everybody because I could have easily been in a situation where it didn't happen, but it happened. So I'm happy about it. I'm not, I'll miss everybody, but I'm not sad about it. I got it. Well, in case everyone didn't do enough damage at this draft, the fact that the next draft's in Nashville only Jeez. means. So the 2003 draft was in Nashville. It's a legendary draft, obviously, because it might be, it, it's, it's in the conversation for the best ever, and just in terms of the quality of players. And as a little before my time as a reporter, um, well, traveling to those sort of events. But from what I've heard secondhand, that was like the drunkest draft in NHL history. And, <laughs> and the beauty about it, when you think about it, is like there were so many good players in that draft, you almost couldn't make a mistake. So even if you were, even if you were a little bit uh, not at your best at the drafting table, you just had to throw a, a dart and hit any name. I mean, was Patrice Bergeron a second rounder in that draft? I think Joel Pavelski, was he even like the seventh round of that draft? Anyway, point is, is, Hall of Fame quality players were taken right throughout it. So anyway, the, the bar will be set pretty high for 2023 and it's supposed to be a good draft too. So uh, maybe there's going to be some echoes of 20 years prior when we get to Nashville a year from now. Funny you say that because uh, growing up in Montreal, uh, one thing I've seen a lot of Canadians fans do is go back to the 2003 draft and look at all those Hall of Famers and be like, oh, why didn't we get any of them? I don't even know if you remember who the Canadians picked in that draft. I don't. Andre Kostitsin. Do you remember the name of Andre Kostitsin? Of course. Well, I mean, you know, he and his brother both had reasonable careers, um, but they didn't have Hall of Fame level careers, of course. Um, but where they where was he picked? Like 15th or something? Like 10th. Like like somewhere like, like pretty high up. Because the truth is, is, like, I think we do a bad job of evaluating this, but someone picked 10 or 15, like, I, I don't have Kostitsin's numbers in front of me, but he had like the kind of career that actually most of those players have. Now, of course, sometimes guys that get picked 15th, though, become all-time greats in the league. Like that's, that, that's, but already by the time you get to the 10 to 15 range, it's, it's getting to be a little bit more of a crapshoot. Uh, you know, if you look historically about the only guarantee is the top three picks more or less all have great careers. I know we can go through and pick out a few exceptions. That's not my interest in doing that, but in general, mm -hmm. You know, picture making in the top three become impactful players. And then everything beyond that is a sliding scale of, of that becoming less likely. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I mean, the benefit of hindsight is always going to come in. And and maybe you could make the argument, too, with Kostitsin's career, that if it weren't for the changes at the lockout, that maybe he might have still had better numbers. And then just maybe something would have gone different. But you know what? That could always be applied, like, for 
anything, I guess. But it is just funny that that draft is so studded. And the Canadians still ended up getting uh, one of those players out of that draft in Shea Weber, who's also a second-round pick. But uh, a lot of people like to go back in Montreal on that draft and, and just, you know, a face palm for that. Right. It, it, it's, it's funny. Well, the one name that jumps out the most, I think, is Hugh Jessamine was the Rangers pick. And I know he ended, yeah. up, play- he ended up playing a couple games. That entire first round played NHL games, which I, I'm, does not happen. Um, but he was the one who probably had the least impact at the NHL level among the first rounders that year. There was one player, I don't know if it was him, but there was another guy who ended up even like becoming like an actor after the fact. I'm going to have to double check that for myself. But anyway, we don't have to rehash uh, the entirety of the uh, 2003 draft. If we, if, unless we want to do that, like for like a future episode before the, the first season is over, like if no, you but get a slow day. What we should do is we, should, before we move on to the news of the day, though, we should not move past that event we had at the Bell Center on Friday night, because that was in Lacage, you know, adjacent to the Bell Center. Uh, that was pretty cool to, to see so many people come out and want to meet us and have a drink and take some photos and have some chats. I mean, that. Uh, that was heartwarming. Honestly, I came away from that just feeling amazing. What a way for me, that was the end of my work week, quote unquote, um, there. And, and it was just a perfect cherry on the top of, you know, a great draft week. And if you're listening or watching us and you were there, thank you for, for being loyal to us and believing in what we're doing, because that, that kind of, it sounds weird, but it like reinforced like the whole point of this whole season, Julian, like we're winding down on, on the, the hockey season itself or winding down on our first season here on the, the CJ show. And I'm just filled with gratitude that, that people have actually made this. We got past like five episodes. You know, I think, I think the average podcast doesn't get past like episode 10. So we've, we've sustained it. And, and it's only because people have been listening and watching that's made it work. I think the fact that we had people from Montreal, from Toronto, from Ottawa, Cooper. I, I had I was talking to someone who, who was coming from Ohio and their and their partner was from France, uh, Carolina, like Alberta. Like we had, uh, we had people coming from Victoria. All too. Over. Yeah, we had people coming from all over who were at La Cage and they wanted to meet us, have conversations with us, take photos with us, have us autograph their jerseys and, and pucks like that was that was I, I I didn't expect that. I honestly didn't. I, I kind of thought we'd just all be just talking with each other, but like I, I didn't expect the love. That was really cool. Yeah. And literally a young couple from Coburg. Slash Coburg. I just want to <laughs> I just want to bring up Coburg. Of course you uh, oh yes, of course you should bring up Coburg. And of course, the great thing about a draft in Montreal is I could stop in Coburg on the way to and from to see my dad. So that was that was nice too. Um, do you know what my most humbling moment of draft week was? Tell me. Humbling slash strange. So I was at the Sheridan, you know, which is across the street for those who don't know from the Bell Center. So a lot of, you know, that's where a lot of activity was based prior to the days the draft started. And like a kid stops me. He's like, can I have your autograph? Wow. And I was like, and I'm like, and I'm sort of like looking at him and I'm like, yeah, but like, are you sure? And then he, he has this puck, right. And a marker and, and, and it's a Bruins puck. And I was like a little bit hesitant. I'm like, are you sure you want me to sign this? He's like, yeah. Can you put ass kicker on it? And I was ass like, kicker? Yeah, I think that's what he said. And I was, I was so confused. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, man. And he goes, are you PJ Stock? <laughs> <laughs> you got confused for PJ Stock? <laughs> yeah. And then upon finding out that I was not PJ Stock, he did not need me to sign his Bruins puck. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's... Uh, I don't see the resemblance. 
it's a true story. It's funny because I told my, I actually ended up telling my dad about this when I saw him on my way back to Toronto. And he, he like called up a picture online. He's like, I can kind of see it, but that is a first. I've never, you know, I know PJ a little bit socially, uh, but I've never been confused for him that I know of until that moment. So I hope that doesn't insult you, PJ, but it was a pretty funny <laughs> moment for me in the time. I was so confused. Like, why does this guy want my autograph? Like, you get the odd selfie request, but I was like, there's no value to my autograph. Even if I put it on a check, like it's going to bounce. Like what the heck? <laughs> hey, I mean, if it was an older person, I would understand. Maybe they want the, the autograph of the guy who scored uh, three goals in 21 seconds that one time when they were before 10. Right. Imagine he had like a Coburg minor hockey puck. That would have been amazing. Wow. But, you know. That's a deep cut. That You would have had deep fans for that. That's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, but I was like, I'm pretty sure you don't want some slub reporters autograph on a Bruins puck. I mean, that doesn't make sense. No, Uh, we are going to get to a lot of news of the day. Uh, We're going to update the uh, CJ's big board. Uh, We're going to talk about Chicago and and what's been going on with them these last few days with who they're keeping, who they're not keeping. It looks like Um, I do want to before we bring on David Bastel and sports interaction, though, with the draft. And we'll also talk about Kent Hughes and the moves he did in a bit more detail as well. But in terms of the actual excitement around the draft and, and into the draft and all the events that happen, where would you rank that in terms of drafts you've seen? Just because with, with everyone in the crowd and, and the trades that happened at the beginning of it, like I thought it was the most exciting draft I've seen as long as I've been following the league. And I'm curious like where that ranks for you. It's it's right near the top. My my first draft was 2008 in Ottawa, and I basically did everyone since. I think I might have missed one in there at some point, but I mean, I've basically been doing it for 14, 15 years of drafts. The only thing I can think of as equivalent is I remember being on the draft floor in New Jersey when they traded for Corey Schneider in the first round, and, and it was in New Jersey, and you know, the way Gary Bettman's like, you know, I got a trade to announce and you're going to like this or something like that. Like he kind of, he had like a sort of a wrestling promotion vibe to it, the way he announced that trade. You know, that was pretty buzzy, but I, I have to think this is at the top. Uh, I mean, Montreal is such a great hockey city. You know, the friggin' league was founded two blocks from the Bell Center over a hundred years ago. And, you know, for them to have the first overall pick to also make a significant trade in the early part of that draft, that, look, draft is not a, it's a buzzy event in terms of what we talk about and some of the trades that go down, but when you're in the building, it takes a long time. Um, You know, the first round, I don't know, was that four hours almost or three, three to four hours. anyway. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's long, like as a fan, other than the fact that you're, you can literally see, you know, if you want to meet your heroes, it's a great opportunity to do that. Cause you know, I looked on that draft floor, like this was crazy for me. A guy, I was having like a, I had a moment there. I was looking at a draft floor at one point you see Rick Nash, you know, at part of the Columbus table, you see Jason Spezza there, you know, obviously guys like Steve Eiserman and, and Joe Sackick are, are GMs. And I remember, you know, watching them play, you know, Scott Niedemeyer was walking around. Like it, it was sort of wild to see all the former players on the draft floor and all that. So, you know, put, put it this way, it's not normally a really spectator friendly event, except for the people watching a chance to meet people and all that. Um, but the first hour, on Thursday night was pretty cool. I mean, you had the, you had sort of the hype of who was going to be picked. Um, you know, there was decidedly mixed reaction when they they did pick Uri Slavkovsky. Like it was, there was some people, I'm not sure they were booing, but almost going like, Ooh, like, um, you know, and then obviously some people cheering and then they make the Kirby doc deal. Uh, that was fun. And let's face it. I, I had 
two hot dogs both days. So I mean, it was it was a pretty good <laughs> day. It was a pretty successful trip to the Bell Center. Actually, I don't think I had a hot dog at all while I was at the Bell Center, and that never happens. I always try to have at least like a few. I don't know why I, I did, but anyway. I was going to say it might the, the novelty might not be there when you when you go as often as you go, Julian. But for visiting not just not just media people like visiting teams visiting gms visiting coaches like it's it is a genuine thing like that you want to have those there's just something special about those hot dogs i don't know why the change show man is i don't know show. what it is either it's just it just works it's the it's buns weird... i don't know how they do those buns but th- there's there's a unique bun composition there if you haven't ever had one yeah well uh, everyone who's listening to this podcast if you ever get it if you ever get a chance get yourself a hot dog when you're in montreal all right uh, let's bring on David Bastel from Sports Interaction. Uh, 19 plus if you're playing uh, Sports Interaction, by the way. Play responsibly. There will be a link to responsible gaming strategies in the description of this show. I love the fact that uh, David Bastel is willing to play along with the uh, the Jeff Carter joke that uh, we started on this podcast. I like his guest, James. He didn't miss a beat either. Like if you had asked me that blindly, because he was not aware of the sort of the gag or the what, what's gone on in our whole season with that particular question. He didn't miss a beat. He just jumped right into that thing. Telling you, man, that just that just goes to show all the pros who end up on this show. Uh, we'll find we'll we'll get you all that name uh, in due time. But anyway, before we get to that, um, I want to talk a little bit more about some of the GMs who made some moves over the last how many days? Ken Hughes, we kind of touched off on it a little bit with the fact that he was able to get Uri Slavkovsky first overall, and they trade for Kirby Doc. Like a lot of people in Montreal are still trying to make sense of all of it. A lot of people are wondering if Shane Wright should have been the pick. People are wondering if he actually stared down the Canadians management after he got picked. Oh, he's not going to be a Montreal Canadian, at least for the foreseeable future. They have decided to go with the scoring winger and Kirby Doc potentially as a future number two or number three center for the Montreal Canadians. What did you think of all those moves? Well, look, I'm not a prospect expert and I don't even want to pretend for a moment I am. So I don't have a strong. Neither of us are but I don't have a strong opinion on the pick. Uh, I do think clearly that if you think Slavkovsky is going to be the best talent in the draft, you take him. And there's still kind of a nod to the positional requirements of the organization to then be able to go get Kirby doc. And, and what I like about it, at least on, on paper is Kirby doc is going to be in the same generation of what they're hoping for, you know, the Cole Caulfields, the, the, the Nick Suzuki's the next players that, the Canadians want to build around, you know, he's in the right age band. And I think that's important because his career is not taken off. Maybe the way the Blackhawks had, had hoped, you know, he's had some injury issues or there's, you know, it's been a pandemic. Like there's a lot of stuff that's gone on. Um, but, you know, I think it was a creative way to, to sort of quote unquote address the problem or the need. And 100%, if you're scouts, if you do your due diligence, like I don't, I don't think you draft for positional need at the top of the draft. You, you, have to come out with the best player, full stop. I don't care if he plays wing. You know, it does address another need that I didn't see a ton of people talk about. Like the Canadians need some size. And, you know, Yuri Slavkovsky might not play center, but he's big. And I think that that is, is worth something. I know that sometimes drafting for size has led teams down the wrong directions. But in, in general, you go with the best guy. That's what they did. And they still found a way to get their center. So I think it's it's logical the decisions they made, but you know, you're still betting on kids. You're still betting on young men in the case of Kirby doc. And so I don't know if it's all going to turn out great or not yet, but, but I, I, the process there appears to have been, you know, worth, worth celebrating or worth saying, Hey, these guys did the right thing. 
Yeah. And then another reason why a lot of people are talking about it, and I should have mentioned him off top too, the Canadians end up parting with Alexander Romanov, another young defenseman, a puck-moving defenseman, uh, who goes off to the New York Islanders as a result of all the hustling and the bustling that goes around. So this is a really interesting time with this team as they're already in this transitional period and going into a new era. But it, it, it just made the events, at least, very interesting to process. I'm not a prospects guy either. I, If the Canadians think Uri Slavkovsky is the guy, he will have to prove it to them. And at least the way he reacted to everybody either giving him praise or kind of booing him or doing like the hoes, he seemed to have taken that move in stride. But I mean, I, th- I think you kind of need that attitude to, to kind of be in this city. And I think that's what stuck out to me most is the fact that he's taken that in stride. Wow. He's a big personality. Like I think Canadians fans are going to fall in love with this guy. Um, you know, whether he turns out to be the absolute best player in this draft, I mean, we're going to need five to 10 years to evaluate that, but just off the hop, I mean, he scores goals, he produces wow moments and he's a giant lovable kid. It seems like. So I, I think that, that it's, it's going to be a player that the Canadians fans are going to rally around. I mean, I, I look, I saw you were in the rink too, Julian. I mean, there's lots of people at Shane Wright signs and t-shirts. So that I'm sure Canadians fans would have loved him as well. And, and, you know, maybe this will all work out quite well. I think Shane Wright, you, you don't like dropping the way he did. I'm sure that was like a long 15 minutes of time to, to sit through those other picks, but you know, he ends up in a franchise run by Ron Francis, one of the best two-way centermen in NHL history team that already has Matty Beneers to, to play up the middle. I mean, Seattle might end up, might being a blessing in disguise for Shane Wright in terms of his fit there and who he's around and, and all those things. I mean, these things do tend to work out. Um, but I'm excited to see Slavkowski in Montreal, and I think he'll play next year. Uh, you know, from all indications, he's, you know, he's played with men already over in Europe. We, we saw what he did at the Olympics and the, the Men's World Hockey Championship in May. You know, he, he's proven that he can, can make an impact in those types of games. And so he's probably ready to jump in, and, and I think where Montreal is going to be at in terms of not, you know, being a high, high competitive team next season. Um, we're going to get to watch him right away. And I think he's going to score some, some goals that bring you out of your seats. I think that that that's worth something. I mean, that, that's kind of part of the debate here, right? I think Shane Wright seems to be the sort of player that is very conscientious two-way player, maybe does a lot of things that, that don't necessarily generate excitement, but help teams win games. Um, you know, Slavkovsky appears to be a bit more of a showman, a bit more of a wow moment kind of guy. Um, someone you can sell and someone who also does things that help you can win games because ultimately scoring is the hardest thing to do in the sport. And if you really think about it in the DNA of the Montreal Canadians, it's about scoring goals and, and, and having that showy flair attitude. And it has been missing. It's been lacking for the better part of a decade plus. Well, I mean, their, their team has been built around Carey Price in a lot of ways. Right. And, and the blue line, I know PK Subban brought a certain flair, you know, and, and, you know, but ultimately what has betrayed this team when it's, you know, if you look at its most recent incarnations that were good and I'm, I almost am excluding that 2021 run to the cup. Cause it's just like, there's some weirdness there, but like in the, in the middle part of the 2010s, the Canadians were consistently a good team. They won lots of playoff rounds. They got to an Eastern conference final. It, it, it felt like in the big moments, they didn't score enough quite to get over the hump. Right. Um, when, and, you know, especially the points when Carey Price was healthy and, you know, the best goaltender in the game or one of the best goaltenders in the game just felt like they didn't have enough offense. Well, maybe this, this next generation will be built a little different way because Cole Caulfield scores goals. Um, there's still going to be more players added to, to this team through their rebuild. And, you know, I think it's going to be 
probably built in a different manner. I think they're going to be exciting is, is what they're hoping to be. And you need some lottery luck for that too. And, and so I think the 2023 draft pick for the Canadians is going to be important. Um, you know, they remember they got an additional unprotected 2023 pick first rounder from, from Florida and that deal for, for Ben Chirot. And so the, the, the cupboard is just starting to be restocked and who knows, maybe next year they're picking first again. And uh, then you're going to have a really fun, exciting uh, offensive team. I'll move from Kent Hughes to Kyle Davidson. Uh, I think it's a pretty easy transition there because he gets, he offloads Kirby Doc. He also offloads Alex DeBrinkett to the Ottawa Senators. And yesterday on Sunday, we learned that he's not going to give a qualifying offer to one of his better centers in, in, in Dylan Strome. What the hell is going on in Chicago? I mean, actually, not even what the hell is going on in Chicago. They are tanking for Connor Bedard, and it has never been more blatant. But it just seems as if, like, there's like a, a lack of proper asset management in terms of actual futures they could get for these pieces. Like it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's a bit surprising to me. Well, look at, they are 100% tearing it to the studs. And I think the, the problem is, look, you make the decision to, to not, I mean, the issue with Alex DeBrinkett is just, he's going to cost big money beyond next season. And clearly they weren't comfortable committing that kind of money to him and making him part of their next core. You know, he, he also has to agree to that too. I mean, it's entirely possible that he, he wasn't going to want to stick around and sign a five or six or seven or eight year deal given, you know, where it appears that the immediate um, future of the organization is. And then, so if you're trading him in the moment, he's only worth what the market says he's worth. Like lots of people love a 24 year old who can score 40 goals but there's just not that many NHL teams that could make that deal that had a first round pick in this draft and like in the high top 10 that had the cap space to bring him in now and, and can hope to sign him as well. And so you're dealing with a limited market. And I think that's why the return might've been underwhelming to some, but it's, it's the conditions of the time, you know, ultimately the Blackhawks determined that this was the best moment to trade him, that this was when the asset would be at its most valuable. And, and you, you make the deal in front of you, you know, the Blackhawks went from having no first round picks in this draft to making three because they also picked up a late first rounder by, by taking on Peter Mraz's contract from the Leafs. And so they've started to rebuild and it's, it's going to be painful. Like you need players. Um, the odd team, I guess if they do finish last this season or, or near the bottom and end up getting Bedard, maybe it's a quicker bounce back, but I think reasonably, you know, they just don't have a lot of assets. You know, they're letting Dominic Kubelik go as well. Um, you know, they're, they're really, they're, they're just unapologetically ripping it apart. And, and so, you know, we'll see how that, that goes for them. It, it is a plan. You know what I mean? Like I, I can't, sometimes being stuck in the middle is no good for a franchise either. Um, but, and they've kind of been in the middle, I think these last couple of years, I know they've sunk more to the bottom specifically this last season or two, but um you know, I, I can understand to some degree how you get there. And we've seen other teams try it, but there is no guarantee. You might correct me if I'm wrong here. I think if you finish last, you have an 18% chance of drafting first. Um, and so, I mean, I guess if you finish last, you know, you're going to draft no worse than third, um, which, which is worth something. But, you know, there's just no guarantee you're going to get a great player at that spot. I know it's meant to be a good draft, but it's, it's a bit of a risky strategy. But I guess they're taking the position that it, it would be riskier to just kind of come along and not have a clearly defined plan. And, and, you know, now we see what happens with, with, you know, Patrick Kane in particular, but also Jonathan Taves moving forward, because I mean, they've, 
they're not just ripping apart the old guys on that team. Like they've sent Brandon Hagel out of the trade deadline plus the Brinkett. Uh, and, and you have to think there'll be more moves of that nature heading into this year's trade deadline. Yeah, that's what makes this so jarring. It's the fact that it's the young players that they're getting rid of either for what people might deem to be lesser offers than expected or for nothing at all. Like you'd think for a rebuild, you know, you hang on to some of those players and, and you move out guys like Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze and get what you can get. But even those guys with the contracts that they have, good luck. You're going to at least have to retain some salary, not to mention uh, health is also an issue when it comes to the to the file of Jonathan Taze. But a 21-year-old center in Kirby Doc, where who, yes, he hasn't had the greatest amount of seasons. Chicago saying, you know what, we're done. We're not gonna, we're gonna offload him. A guy like Alex Debrinkit, who can score 40 goals in his sleep. Yeah, goodbye. You're gone. A uh, Dylan Strom, a guy who got along fine with Patrick Kane. You're not even going to keep him on a, on a qualifying offer. You're going to lose him for nothing. Dominic Kubelik, you just mentioned, they're going to let him go. It's the pieces and the ages of those players that seem to be very jarring. Even if a rebuild is absolutely necessary, it's, it's, it's also just a straight up blatant ploy, not ploy, but just move to, to try to get this top pick. And you're absolutely right. Like it's, you only have like, even if it's 18% chance at getting the number one overall pick, there's also still an 88% chance. You don't get that first overall pick, but yes, a lot of people are also going to say, if you finish last, you're guaranteed a top three pick. That's what a lot of people in Chicago and in other markets who are going to do the same thing are going to be saying a lot of. Because if you don't get Connor Bedard, Matthew Mitchkoff is out there. Adam Fantilli is also out there. There's going to be a lot of that next year. It's a full reset for the for Chicago, right? I mean, the only player that we could be pretty confident will be there, I think, is Seth Jones. I just think it'd be very difficult to move that contract, which is just starting now, right? Like the eight years that the clock has just gotten going on that. Um, but, you know... They, it, it, it's a complete reset of the organization. That's that's the only way to look at it. And it's crazy because it was only last summer they were trading a first round pick and signing Seth Jones. So you know this is a pretty abrupt, you know, turn, you know, turn in a different direction. Now it's a different GM. Clearly, you know, there's been some some big changes in that organization for the off ice stuff that 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 happened. So, you know, I. I just think it's a complete fresh restart. And I, I don't think we should expect them to be competitive anytime in the next couple of years. I mean, it might happen. It might happen to hit on the right guys. And those, those players might be good enough to, to immediately turn them around. The, the one team I can think of doing that is, you know, the, the Maple Leafs drafted Austin Matthews uh, in 2016, first overall, and ended up making the playoffs the next year. It helped though, that they had Mitch Marner already in the cooker from the previous draft and William Nylander from two drafts prior to that. And all those guys came up at the same time and were probably a little more impactful than, you can count on 18 and 19 year olds being just the way it turned out. But, you know, in general, it takes a few years of being lost at sea. And, and then sometimes you become Buffalo or Edmonton, which had many, many years and many, many high picks and it didn't, didn't make a big difference. So, um, Oh, there's, there's risk involved with it. I saw Mark Lazarus at the athletic ripped into the Blackhawks pretty good with a column here yes. on Monday. Um, you know, he's just against the idea of tanking in general. I'm, I, I'm not as, I'm not as opposed to it because ultimately it's, I get that it's ugly business, but you don't want to, you, you either have to sell over, you're cheering for winning or you're cheering for the chance to win. Like I think sometimes when organizations don't execute a plan and you're just like, what are they doing all the time? That's hard as a fan. Um, this is, this is business at the end of the day, they're making business decisions. They're trying to work the CBA and, and the draft lottery rules in their favor they're trying to bounce back quicker and, and shoot higher than ever before. So I can understand the plan. I just, I, I just think it would be silly for us not to acknowledge it carries massive risk. Like it could, 
they just might have bad draft lottery luck, draft the wrong players, and you're wasting entire seasons then for for what? And and it makes them a team to watch. I mean, look where Arizona's at. They're in a similar type of spot. I mean, they're still a bit of a dumping ground team for contracts. They've they've obviously amassed a huge number of draft picks. Their their plan is meant to be similar. They're clearly trying to just have this next wild generation, but you got you got to hit on your picks to make that work. 100%. By the way, the Mark Lazarus column that uh, CJ is referencing, uh, Blackhawks' blatant tank job is bold but utterly contemptible. You can find that on the Athletic website. Uh, very quickly before we get to the big board, you mentioned Arizona here. Um, a lot of people have noticed uh, that their schedule, uh, not only is it out, but it seems to be uh, pretty uh, pretty light on some of the home games or a lot of, at least in the first part of uh, this coming NHL season. Uh, just going to read this tweet off from Frank Saravalli's Twitter. 20 of their first 24 games are on the road. They play just two home games in each of October and November. There's no Saturday night home game during the NCAA season. Of course, they play at uh, Arizona State's rink. One in December, one Saturday in December during Christmas break. What are your thoughts on the schedule? And also, are you actually excited about visiting that rink in Arizona? I am excited. I think it's I think it's going to be kind of cool. I look at the criticism that's out there that's justified. I understand where it comes from, but now the decision's made. They're playing their next season and for the next couple of seasons. I think I think it has 13 rows is the entire, you know, stadium essentially and then obviously stuff at the top, but for it'll be an unmatched sort of viewing opportunity to, to watch an NHL game. Um, so that can be true, but I, I think we can also say like, look, this is a really difficult spot to be in for those players. You know, my understanding is they didn't want to have a situation like the the Islanders had to start this year when they were waiting for their arena to open where it's all one massive road trip. So I think those four home games come in a block together. So basically the player, you know, you do get home for a stretch, but even at that time, they're going to have to use some temporary kind of facilities because you know, right now they're still building out the, the proper dressing room and, and facilities adjacent to this arena. You know, look, this is making the best of a not ideal situation is, is what they're doing. It's a brand new rink for ASU. So, you know, at least the facility itself, well, not at the size and scale of what you'd expect an NHL arena to be, at least it's new. You know, it's not like they're going into a 50-year-old barn to play, which I actually think is worthy of note. And... I do think that they're going to, I think it'll be a good atmosphere, quite honestly, uh, but it's, it's going to be a little strange and that's, that's not a schedule that's conducive to uh, much success. I think just playing that long on the road is just a human toll. Being on the road that long is, is, is tough and, and um, being away from family or friends or what have you. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it is what it is. I think that the, the road heavy start is really just about getting all the facilities built there more than anything else, you know, by the, the following season, I think they'll have a normal, what we would call a normal looking schedule, but it's, uh, it's taking chickens, you know, whatever it's, it's making chicken soup out of the situation. I was about to say like, where were you going with that chicken? analogy? Uh, I didn't want to swear too much. I know I dropped the odd swear on here, but I'm trying to be better. Oh, wow. You know what? That's just growth from you, CJ. And we all are all about growth here on the Chris Johnston show. Let's get to the big board. Uh, a couple episodes ago, we introduced CJ's big UFA big board with some of the uh, best and most available uh, free agents that uh, could be available coming on Wednesday. Uh, we put together a little bit of a board for you guys to see who are among the 
top, according to CJ, uh, David Perron and Vincent Trocek just outside the top 10. Uh, but first from just from 10 on down, Andre Pilat entering the top 10 at 10, uh, Valerian Chuskin at nine, Evander Kane at eight, John Klimberg at seven, Jack Campbell at six, Claude Giroux at five, Patrice Bergeron at four, Evgeny Malkin at three, Nazem Kadri at two, Johnny Gaudreau still leading atop CJ's big board of unrestricted free agents. Shout out producer Nick for the graphic too. Love it. Producer Nick, man, he's he knows a thing or two about putting these things together. Uh, you'll notice Philip Forsberg is no longer on this list. He just re-upped with the Nashville Predators. I think you had him like third on the previous iteration of this list, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, and Chris Letang is off it too. He was he was in the top five. So I mean, you get a couple of signings. What's funny is you know a couple of these players might still be signed out of the top 10 and not actually reach for agency on Wednesday at noon Eastern time. Um, you know, I think of Genny Malkin and the Penguins have made some progress towards a deal, you know, not quite there yet, but, um, you know, could see that happening before Wednesday. Patrice Bergeron, you know, I just have him that high because if he's unsigned as of Wednesday, teams are 100% going to call his agent and at least see what they can do. But, and, and, you know, we were very upfront about this. I, I don't expect him to test the market in the way these other players will. I, I don't think he's trying to, to drive up his price or interested in playing anywhere else. You know, if he plays, I would almost certain it's going to be in Boston. Um, you know, the rest, though, should probably hold to this point. I, I don't see a good draw extension coming. You know, there's one important deadline that, that, you know, you might not be aware of, Julian, though, is he can only sign an eight-year deal in Calgary until 11.59 p.m., Eastern time on Tuesday night, you know, that is 12 hours before free agency officially opens. And that eighth year is, you know, a huge advantage for Calgary. It's, it's significant money. And, and, you know, it could be something that helps, you know, sway him back towards the flames. Um, you know, that, that deadline bears watching, I guess, as, as it approaches. Um, but yeah, this is, this is what we got. I think there's quite a few interesting names here. And, uh, you know, certainly this top 10, those, these guys by and large are going to get paid. What about names like Claude Giroux and, and, and Jack Campbell? Or let's try to at least if we can get a sense of where what's your sense on some of the other guys in that top 10 and where they could be headed or, or if they could stay with their teams? Well, Jack Campbell's a big jumper. I, I don't re- recall where I had him prior to this, but I know he made a big leap up to six uh, on the second version of the big board. You know, it, it's come down to where it looks like it's Toronto and Edmonton vying for services. Uh, you know, Kyle Dubas had a, a meeting with Jack Campbell over the weekend. Uh, trying to get a sense of where he's at, if they can reach a contract. You know, I think the Leafs have circled back here with the way that the goalie market's played out. You know, we've seen Billy Huso come off the board. Um, Marc-Andre Fleury came off the board. There's trades for Alexander Gorgiev uh, and Vitek Banasek over the weekend. I mean, there's just, there's in this game of musical chairs, there's Jack Campbell's one of the last available pieces you're trying to grab and put in a chair. And so, you know, he's in pretty high demand. Um, so that's where he's at. I, I still think Edmonton's the favorite on him, but you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. The Leafs have excuse, exclusive negotiating rights during this period. So there's still time for them to maybe step up with an offer that can convince him to stay. Uh, Claude Giroux is an interesting one. It does seem as though he's going to move on from, from Florida. I think all things being equal, he would have liked to remain a Panther, you know, after playing the last part of the season there last year and into the playoffs, but you know, they just have cap troubles and, and, you know, I think his his ability to earn more money is, is going to be elsewhere. And, you know, I'm, I'm very curious to see if he ends up with the Ottawa Senators. You know, he's got ties to Ottawa. The Senators are of the frame of mind that they want to make a splash. You know, they're 
They're engaged in talks on trading Matt Murray. They're looking at potentially moving on from Connor Brown, who's one year from UFA. We've already seen them take a big swing by bringing Alex DeBrinket in. Um, you know, Pierre Dorian is shaking up his team, and I think he'd love uh, to, to try to get to Claude Giroux's signature on a contract, and I think he's got a chance. Not, not a slam dunk. It's not 100% done, nothing like that, but, you know, I do think that the there's, you know, hope of bringing him sort of quote-unquote home. I know he's from Hearst, Ontario, um, mm. proud hometown of my buddy Pierre Lebrun, uh, but, you know, Claude does spend his off-seasons in the Ottawa area and I think is, is open to at least considering what the Senators might put in front of him on Wednesday. Not a love for uh, les Franco-Ontariens aujourd'hui on uh, the CJ show. What about Nazem Kadri? Interesting case. You know, I, I don't know that the Avalanche can get to where he needs a contract to be. And so, you know, at this point, I do think he's going to be testing the open market. You know, in terms of fits for him, I, I've talked in the past about Detroit, you know, maybe making some sense. They're looking for help down the middle. If it's not Kadri, I think that they'll look at a player like Vincent Trocek, for example. I think that they would look at Malkin if he got to, to free agency. I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, Andrew Kopp, you know, I, I would expect Detroit to be a team that's out there signing uh, a player to play down the middle for them. And, and I think Kadri makes some sense given its proximity to his hometown of London, Ontario. I also wonder about Calgary, Julian. Um, you know, if they end up maybe losing out on, on Johnny Goodrow, if if they pivot away from that and, and try to bring in Kadri. I mean, they would have the cap space. I think they would have a spot in the lineup. Remember a couple of years ago, they tried to trade for him from Toronto and, and didn't complete that deal. But I, I could see that being a place, you know, we've talked a bit about Seattle, I believe, wanting to make a splash in free agency. So I think that they'll be in play for maybe a player like Kadri. So he's going to have his options and he's, he's definitely going to get paid. And, you know, at this point in time, it just seems like Colorado probably can't get to the kind of numbers he, he can expect it to see on the open market. And so, you know, I don't necessarily think he'll be back for a chance at a second straight cup with the abs. By the way, uh, if you want to see uh, CJ's full big board list, uh, he has updated it for uh, North Star Bets. I believe you've already tweeted out the link uh, out on Twitter. We'll try to find a way to have it out somewhere. We'll definitely try to share that link. Uh, but you can find all the different names on that big board on uh, the North Star Bets web. Oh, sorry, excuse me, the North Star Bets website. Sorry, tongue, whatever reason, just got twisted there for a couple seconds. North Star Bets uh, by uh, with CJ, uh, the big board of uh, unrestricted free agents available coming later this week. And we're going to keep updating it. We'll keep it updated because there's, you know, there's a few players. We're recording the show on a Monday. There's a deadline for restricted free agents to be tender qualifying offers. So might get a couple interesting names that that become last minute UFAs here. And then obviously if some of these guys sign, we're going to keep rejigging the order and keeping it fresh. Exactly. We get jiggy with the list. Let's get to ask CJ. Uh, We do this every Monday where we take in questions from you. You, watching or listening to this episode, you, you can send in questions over Twitter or over our SDPN Discord. Just use the hashtag AskCJ if you can. I'm going to start with this one from uh, Parmvir Baines on Twitter, uh, who I actually ran into downtown uh, last week, which was kind of interesting. He's like, oh, hey, I know who you are. That's that's pretty cool. Uh, what do we expect from the Habs during UFA season? Do you see them getting rid of contracts to free up cap space to make a run at a big UFA name? No, I think it's going to be a pretty quiet uh, free agency period for Montreal. You know, I could see them maybe taking a swing to bring Brett Kulak back if if he remains unsigned in Edmonton. The Oilers would like to keep Kulak too. Uh, they'd like the fit with him. And so, you know, I could see them making that kind of re-addition, it would be in this case, but but I don't see them being in play for any of the names 
in the top 10 or even the top 20 or 30, maybe on the big board. I mean, I, I just think that the, the cap space is too precious right now. They don't know, have any clarity on what's happening with Carey Price. Uh, if anything, we're, we're probably talking about Montreal unloading a contract or two. And, and, you know, I think by free agency 2023, it's a different picture. Uh, and that was a big part of trading Shea, Shea Weber's contract as well, is just to preserve flexibility down the road. And so I, I, I don't think Montreal will be in on any of the big names uh, they, they might make a, a deal or two here in, in July. Um, but, you know, by this time next year, we'll be uh, connecting them to all the, the, the big dogs. From Tyler Gramont, uh, Tyler28 Gramont on Twitter, with Winnipeg shopping Blake Wheeler and rumors of Pierre-Luc Dubois potentially wanting out in the future, is there any chance they go full rebuild and would be open to moving their stars such as Nikolai Ehlers, Kyle Connor, Mark Scheifele, and Connor Hellebuck? I don't think they're in this, a mind frame for total rebuild. I mean, look, this this year they, they had trouble selling out their building, which has not been an issue since the team came back up from, from Atlanta and became Winnipeg Jets 2.0. Um, there's there's business interests here. They still have a lot of good players, too. I think that, that there's a, a case to be made that they shouldn't do a rebuild. I, you know, they're certainly open to moving some things around. And, you know, I've, I've worked with Blake Wheeler to see if there's, there's a new home for him. But, you know, by – you know, bringing in Rick Bonus, a veteran coach, I think that you're seeing signs really that they're just trying to squeeze more out of their group and, and you know, might do like some some small some small tinkering. Um, but but I, I wouldn't expect to, to see a rebuild. I mean, they might have to contemplate that if this doesn't work. Um, but, you know, from my view, it's worth giving it another shot. They, they still have some some real difference makers there and, and pieces that can be part of an eventual rebuild if they decide to unload them. It's just not going to happen in the immediate future. Next one from uh, Eric Leon on Twitter. Who's the best UFA that's going to sign a one-year deal? Ooh, good question. Maybe Mason Marchman um, comes to mind. You know, he, he had a season where it really popped for him in Florida, but he's 27 years old. He hasn't done it uh, on any meaningful level at the NHL prior to this season. And so I could see him taking a short-term deal kind of a prove it type of deal. It might end up being two years, not one. Um, but I, I think he will sign a short-term contract. And obviously if he pops again, if he, if he shows that he can be a, a top six player, then, you know, he'll be in a much better position to sign long-term going forward. But, you know, by and large, if, if you're looking at these UFAs, uh, they're, they're signing, you know, for term. Um, and, and so there's not going to be a lot of one-year deals. I mean, maybe Patrice Bergeron might be a, a cheat way uh, to give you that, that answer because he's probably signing mm. a one-year contract to return to Boston. You know, I think he's year by year at this point of his career uh, and he just won his fifth Selkie trophy. So if he signs a one-year deal, it's going to be hard saying anyone's better than him. Um, but he's not really a true UFA as, as mentioned previously, because I don't, I don't think he's looking for anywhere else to play, but, but really just deciding where he's at vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Bruins or, or retiring. Next one from Jay Alexander, 46. Is it allowed for team A to trade player with salary retained to team B, then have team B buy out the player's contract and have both teams share the buyout recapture? Short answer is no. You can't do that. There's, there's all these rumors. If you trade a player and he gets bought out, I think he can't rejoin your team for a year or something like that. I mean, there's, there's basically mechanisms put in place in the CBA to have it so that you, you can't circumvent the rules. Although now that I'm remembering, didn't Brooks Orpik get traded to Colorado in the Philip Grubauer deal and then bought out and re-signed in Washington, maybe? 
Uh, I got to brush I up. On my, I got to brush up on my CBA. I'm sorry, I don't have a great answer to the question, but there are definitely parameters in place to try to make it hard for you to skirt the rules, which I think is what you're trying to get at there with with that scenario. Uh, next one from Medic Burnside on Twitter. I want to know why the Leafs are taking runs at Matt Murray, an injury-prone goalie with a league cap hit and not great recent numbers, after getting rid of basically the same goalie. What's the thought process here? Can't wrap my head around it. This is a common thought out there among Leafs fans. You know, I've gotten a, a bit on my Twitter feed. I think it's as simple as supply and demand. There's not a lot of supply on the market. I'm not sure the Leafs are willing to go to where Jack Campbell's next contract is going to be. And you look around the league, and I know everyone wants to say, like, John Gibson. Well, as far as I know, the Anaheim Ducks are not trading John Gibson. And it doesn't even sound like the Montreal Canadiens are inclined to move Jake Allen. I mean, they, they're going to need someone to play net for them next season. And so there aren't a lot of options. Matt Murray is very much available. I think Ottawa is willing to be creative. The acquisition cost is going to be low. Obviously, there's a pretty big sticker price on him in terms of the salary owed and his cap hit, $6.25 million. But I think there's ways for this deal to make sense where you can get him at a reasonable number. And he's got connection to multiple people in the Leafs organization. I mean, everyone points out that he played uh, for the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds while Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe were there. And that's true. But, you know, what also happened is the Leafs have a, a guy by the name of John Elkin who works in their front office in goalie development. And he was literally Matt Murray's childhood goaltending coach. And so they have a deep uh, connection to this guy. They have you know, presumably some information. I know part of what's happened here over the weekend is the Leafs have, um, you know, engaged in trade talks with the Senators as they've gotten access to Matt Murray's medical records to do a full sort of scope of everything he's dealt with. Because I think, you know, the big story of Matt Murray's career is, has been the injuries more than anything. Um, you know, and that's, that's sort of derailed him from being part of two Stanley Cup champions back-to-back with the Pittsburgh Penguins. But he's still under 30. They have a tie to him. The acquisition cost is cheap. And clearly the Leafs believe that they can get him to another level. It's it's a gigantic risk. I, I think that there's no getting around that fact. But, you know, it's also a risk to, to give Jack Campbell a five-year deal. And, and so that's that's what the decision boils down to. You know, what I don't have a clear picture on as we're recording this, Julian, is are they getting Matt Murray and another proven NHL goalie? Or is it literally going to be Matt Murray with Eric Schalgren or Joseph Wall as his backup, you know, players that have, are already in the Leafs organization? Um, it's going to be an interesting call. I think no matter how it shakes down with the Leafs cap situation, they're not going with sure things. Um, but, you know, it's maybe it pays off. Maybe they get a, a reborn Matt Murray at, at a fraction of the cost and, and they look like geniuses. If not, they're probably making a trade in season next year to, to upgrade that position because, um, you know, there's just, there's just not a sure thing out there for them, at least not that I see. Last one from uh, Carpoulin on Twitter. A very serious question for you, CJ. Which bar was the most popular last week in Montreal? Ziggy's. It's always easily. Ziggy. Um, it's a great hockey bar. I, I'd urge fans to go there, uh, especially if you're there at a big event. But, you know, I was there Friday night, Julian. I know you were there. It was, it was popping, and it was a lot of hockey people. It was almost exclusively hockey people. And so that was probably the, the most popular. Hurley's is popular. I know that, that uh, some of the youngins went to, uh, was it called Astral 2000? Was that where the... L'Astral 2000. Uh, that's where we went karaokeing uh, one of the nights this the last week, yes. Yeah, so I didn't get to Astral 2000 or L'Astral 2000, um, but I know that was popular with some of the youngins. But but Ziggy's probably took the cake last, last uh, week. Yeah, Ziggy's, Hurley's, Winnie's was also pretty popular. 
Uh, Shea Alexander saw a few people there. Uh, Last time for sure, that was also like a further out east uh, from downtown, but very much worth it to see John Liu uh, saying and Greg Wyshynski saying all the small things as well uh, for karaoke. A lot of guys, a lot of people would have gone. If you would have gone, what would have been your go-to karaoke song? I would not have done karaoke. Come on. I'm I'm all up for a good time, but I, I know my limitations too. And I just... I don't think there's, I've almost never sang karaoke in my life, maybe a handful of times in my twenties, but I'm not a big karaoke performer. You should do it. It's, I think it's so fun because like no one expects anyone in the room to do it. And then if you, you muster up the courage to do it, it's such like a liberating and and free thing. Like everyone just like, everyone's not going to expect you to fail. Like it's fun. I've got a range though. Like with this whiskey and cigarettes voice of mine, I, I, I can't have, I can't do too many I need I need specific songs that are kept within a certain range to even have a chance. Okay, like Lou Rawls. I'm trying to think of people with crap. Johnny Cash. You could probably do like I could do, yeah, but I couldn't match Johnny Cash. I mean, that's that's tough. I mean, no one's gonna ask you to be Johnny Cash and do Ring of Fire and expect you to be the second coming. I came in in a burning ring of fire. I don't know all the lyrics. You could do it. You could do it. Next time we come to Toronto, we go to a karaoke bar. We doing it. All right. We're going to have to have a bet on that. And I'm going to have to lose the bet to have to do karaoke. We'll come up with a new bet after, you know, I owe you one after that cup final bet I lost. All right. Well, season two, we'll put that in. I, by the way, for people wondering uh, if I sang, I did. Uh, met with Matt Larkin of uh, the Hockey News. We did a duet of Under Pressure by... Uh, Queen and David Bowie. Exactly. It was fun. It was cool. That was the first time I'd ever met Matt, too. We we will always have that bond forever. That's another thing about these things, too. You could end up doing it with some random dude you had only met for the first time that night, and you could have that bond for the rest of your life, knowing that you found a way to not look like a fool doing karaoke. But anyway, uh, that's going to do it for the Monday edition of the CJ show siege. Always a pleasure doing these shows with you, but we'll be back on Thursday with a brand new episode. Check out all the other fun stuff at the SDPN and uh, be on the lookout for the updated uh, big board CJ. By Thursday, I'm going to be in vacation CJ mode. So just be prepared for a weird show. Sunglasses. I I'm not even saying yet, but I'm just saying like, this has been a long stretch. I love my job, obviously. Appreciate you all, but I'm ready for a break. And Thursday is about the start of my break. So, okay. All right. For CJ, I'm Julian. So long. Peace. Talk to you guys on Thursday. The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.